Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast and this week's sneak peek into the classroom where we have been studying the book of Hebrews. We started last week with a little introductory in the first three verses. Today we pick up in chapter four and finish out chapter one in the book of Hebrews. Now, if you missed last week or you say you're just new to the podcast, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to last week's. It's entitled The Classroom and then Jesus is Better. And we were discussing some introductory things that I think are important. I do kind of touch on them this week, I guess, a little bit. But uh, you may want to go back and hear last week's. And then this week we're talking about how Jesus is better than angels. So without further ado, here is this week's Adult Bible Study. Let's take our Bibles and go back to Hebrews chapter 1. We are in Hebrews chapter 1. Last week we began the new study in the book of Hebrews. Um, we, we touched on kind of some introductory thoughts about Hebrews, who it was written to, who wrote it, which we didn't answer because no one really knows. Uh, many people will assume Paul could have been Luke, could have been Barnabas, could have been Priscilla, could have been Apollos. You can, they, people like to debate it. You can go to Bible college and debate it with kids if you want. But uh, for this study, we'll just say the author of Hebrews. We don't know exactly who it was. And we talked about the purpose of it. It was written to some very immature believers. Some believers that were tempted to go back to Judaism for a few reasons that we discussed last week. One, they were facing some persecution. Two, a lot of their family were still in Judaism. And so to them, it was just easier to go back rather than face the difficulty. And they were young in their faith. But this book is written to these persecuted immature believers to help them to get to know Christ more, to help them to grow in their faith and to move on to maturity. And so I think there's a lot of great truths in here. You say, well, we're not Jews, but every one of us need to grow. Every one of us need to get, develop a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to move on to spiritual maturity. And so I think this is a great book for us to study. Now, I went last week. If you missed it, you can always go to uh, the podcast and catch that, and you can catch back up but today, we are on a section of chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 4. And I said last week in the introductory, there's a word that you'll find quite often. In 13 times it comes up in the book of Hebrews, it's the word better. And in these early chapters, the author of Hebrews is going to compare Jesus to certain things or people. He's going to compare Jesus to Moses, to the Levitical uh, offerings and things like that. But here today, he's going to compare Jesus with angels. And the most difficult part about this study is I don't think there's anyone in this classroom that came in here thinking, and I kind of think angels are better than Jesus. No one probably did. And so I'm going to try to convince a class that already believes that Jesus is better than angels, that Jesus is better than angels. So I think when I've, because I said last week, I've never taught through this book in its entirety. And I think probably part of me gets to verse 4 and I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm not teaching through this book. But there's what I've missed in doing that is though he's trying to compare to Jewish readers, and I'll explain why briefly, that Jesus is better than angels. He's mainly trying to sell us about Jesus. Because knowing that Jesus is better than angels doesn't make you a more mature Christian. But knowing who Jesus is in all of his glory does help us to grow as a Christian. And so this section of Hebrews, he's going to have seven quotations from the Old Testament. 
and you, when you just look at your Bible, unless you have a special Bible that like italicizes like Old Testament thing, you're not going to know that these are quotes from the Old Testament. But I'm going to read you those Old Testament quotes. But he used seven quotations from the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is superior to angels. Now, why is that important? Well, I think it's neat that he uses, the author of Hebrews, whoever he is, felt like I'm going to go back to the Old Testament to prove a New Testament. He wouldn't word it that way, but we would now. A New Testament truth. Because there are some people out there that say, well, the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. Well, tell that to the New Testament writers. Because the New Testament writers base their writing on the Old Testament. I said last week, Hebrews, I believe this is an accurate statement. Romans would be the only one that would challenge this statement. But I believe Hebrews quotes the Old Testament more than any other New Testament book. So the Hebrew writer, and that makes sense, he's writing to Jews. But he's saying this Old Testament truth is proving this New Testament principle. So now, before I get into it, why are we emphasizing Jesus over the angels? Well, remember the audience was Jewish audience. So when the author of Hebrews wrote this, he wasn't thinking a group of people from Cunot is going to be reading this in 2,000 years. And so let me, he was thinking, I'm writing this to some Jewish believers that are struggling. And these Jewish believers that are struggling are tempted to get back into Judaism. And Judaism had a high reverence for angels. Because, and one of the main reasons why the Jews thought so highly of angels is because of the angels' place in the giving of the law. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As I was studying this, I was like, man, I, I didn't even remember these two verses. And angelology is not my strongest ology, okay? Give me theology, Christology, eschatology, but angelology, I'll be honest. I was kind of like in class in college, I was like, okay wonderful you know my thought towards angels is they don't really apply to us anymore so i don't need to know a lot about them they're cool but people can become obsessed with angels so angelology was not one that i really cared about but i forgot about in acts 7 verse 53 it says this and i'll just read it to you who hath received the law paul was writing and he says who hath received the law by the disposition of angels and having not kept it. He's talking about when Moses went up to the Mount Sinai and somehow in the giving of the law, the angels were part of that. Now I'm going to talk to you about what the angels do or did in a little bit, but the angels had a part in giving of the law. Well, the Jews, I mean, the law was everything to them. Moses was everything to them. Abraham was everything to them. And the angels even came to visit Abraham and Sarah. You remember, they announced you're going to have a son. The angels were the ministers for God to come and give an announcement to Abraham, their father. And so angels had these key moments in history that the Jews all looked up to. In Galatians 3.19, it says, Wherefore then serveth the law? What's the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions, because of sin, till the seed should come to whom, that's Jesus, to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of the mediator. I would have never remembered that last part of that phrase. But some part of the law was given. God used these angels to give this law to Moses. The reason why I don't know much about it, and the reason why you probably didn't coming into this, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot. And I'm glad it doesn't. And here's why I avoid angels so much. We have a tendency as people to want to worship things other than God. And too often in our society and generations of the past, people want to worship angels. And they're never meant to be worshipped. 
Matter of fact, anytime someone tried to worship an angel, even go back to the Abraham story, they'll be like, hey, get up. You don't worship me. They always point to God. They were created beings for God. And so um, we got to be careful. But, but the Jews, were, I mean, they were obsessed in some sense, maybe that's too strong of a word, with angels, but it t- revolved around the giving of this law. And so when he's writing this to weary Jews that are tempted to go back into that, he's going to show them there's no match for Jesus Christ. Jesus is better than anyone. They needed to give some truths around that. So let's look at verse 4. Let's pick up, starting in verse 4, he says, Being so much better, there's the first time we see it, than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Verse 5, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, notice that capital letter S, This day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So this very first two verses he's saying that Jesus has a better name than these angels. Well, what name is he talking about? Well, he gave it to us there as he quoted in our first Old Testament quotation is Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, it says, I will declare a decree, the Lord has said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So the Hebrew writer took that Psalm 2, he put it into his scroll as he's writing this to prove that Jesus is better than angels because of his name. What is the name? Jesus has been called this name, the Son of God, capital S. You may remember, do you guys remember that the angels were called what collectively? Small letter S, but they were called the sons of God. In Job, maybe one other time, in the Psalms a couple of times, one other time maybe in Genesis, they were referred to as the sons of God collectively, as angels, as messengers, but there's only one Son of God, capital S. And that name exceeds the name of angels. He is, he is the true Son of God. He is, was given. So when it says down in verse 5, it says, um, begotten has begotten thee. He's starting to reference, which we're going to get into more in a minute, when not that he gave birth to him. Don't get that thought when you see the word begotten. But, but God sent Jesus to this earth to be born of a virgin. He sent him in his incarnation, which I'm going to get to uh, in the second point here. But he sent him to this earth. He fulfilled everything he was supposed to. And his rank and his title, which I'll come back to, is greater than any of, of the angels. He goes on. In Acts 13, 33, I'll read this. God hath fulfilled the same unto the children, it says, and that he hath raised up Jesus again and also written this second psalm, Thou art my son, and this day I have begotten thee. So there's a, and Paul also quoted that exact same psalm. And then here he's quoting at the very end of this, in verse, um, verse number five again, he says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. They're also quoting Second Samuel 7, when actually, and this is, a, I need to slow down here on this one, but let me read this verse. Just listen to it for a second. David's talking and he says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. So that's the same exact phrase, but the author chose to quote it. That tells us something about the Old Testament that I'm going to kind of pivot over here for a second to teach you something. There is something called dual application in the Old Testament at times. At times in the Old Testament, something just like that. David was writing that 
to his son, Solomon. That's, he was writing. That was the main application. But there was a dual application. And, and you have to be careful because sometimes people will say, oh yeah, he's writing this to his son, but I'm going to make it to mean this. Well, now you can take things out of context. But when the New Testament writer does it, it's inspired by God. So the New Testament writer of Hebrews took the phrase that was used by David talking to his son, and he used it in reference to Jesus. That's what's called this dual application. It meant something in the time that it was written, but now in the New Testament, he's using it to prove a New Testament principle. So that's just a side note, sometimes how when you're studying the Bible, there's that. But he's saying Jesus, his name, is greater than the name of the angels. The angels may be called the sons of God. They were created beings by God. Many believe on day one of creation. They were created beings, but they are not the son of God. But then number two, we see um, from verse number six and seven, look what it says. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world. Well, when did God bring Jesus into the world? He didn't create Jesus. He's always been. We'll see that in a second. He brought him into this world when we celebrate Christmas. He was born of a virgin. He says, so when he brought him into this world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And the angels, and to the and of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. So Jesus, the firstborn, receives worship. The word firstborn is an interesting word. It, it means not necessarily born first, though it can. But it typically means, in the Jewish culture, highest in rank. You remember Jacob wasn't the firstborn, was he? But he received the highest in rank as far as the, the blessing, which he was promised he would. Now, they had to go about it in a deceiving way in the Old Testament, but he got that blessing that he was always going to get. He was the highest in rank. And so whenever he's using this term here, talking about Jesus being the firstborn, he's saying he is the highest title you can possibly give. He is the highest rank there is. That is our Jesus. And then he says in verse 7, as I read it, and of the angels, he said, who maketh it? his angels spirits and his ministers of flames of fire he's talking about that jesus he was served by the angels now the angels let's talk about their purpose for a second at times at times we've seen in the bible that angels who are a spirit took upon human form it happened when they came to abraham angels took upon human form it happened um, again to abraham when they destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. They came and announced that judgment was coming. Angels served God. That Serve God. That's their main purpose. They also worship. There are some angels that all they do is surround the throne. The New Testament tells us, Revelation tells us, and they just praise God. That's all they do. They just surround a throne and they give praise. Cherubim are their names. There's different names for these angels. Seraphim and cherubim. Angels can pour out judgment, but only at the request of God. We saw that with Sodom and Gomorrah. Angels are ministering spirits, the Bible says, who sometimes take upon the form of man. Angels serve Jesus when he walked on this earth. There's several passages talking about that. But this is all a quotation, again, from Psalm 104.4, which says, Who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers of flaming fire. Angels are ministers. They're not to be worshipped. 
I know we in our society, well, it's not as big, I don't think, anymore. Maybe it is. I just don't watch it. But they, we, we went through a time, and I'm not saying it's wrong. We went through a time where we had angels, all kinds of TV shows that were angels in heaven, angels this, angels that. And, and people become kind of obsessed with angels, and that's, that's fine. But angels, their main responsibility is, I'm just ministering for God. They're created beings. They are created by God to serve, to minister. Now, uh, let's, what do we know about angels? This isn't in my notes necessarily, but let's take a pause for a second. What do we know about angels? Well, they were created by God, but one-third of them did what? They rebelled. So they're created with a free will of some sort. They rebelled and went with Satan. And they're what we call today demons. They're angels, but we call them demons today to kind of separate. They're demonic um, so they have a free will, but angels were told in the Bible they, they're, they're not redemptive. They, they don't get saved like we get saved. They don't, they, they're, not, they're created beings. They don't have the souls like we do. So they don't receive that redemptive of power that Jesus didn't die for the sins of the angel world. He died for mankind, for our sins. And so we don't see any evidence of an angel repenting and coming back. Now, I was said this when we were praying, we we're talking about this. We don't know a lot about angels. We know some. There's a whole angelology out there, but we don't know a lot about angels. Why? Because the Bible's not really written for angels. The Bible's written for us. And the Bible's not written for us to worship angels. It's written for us to worship God. So there's probably a lot more that we don't know. But we know enough to know that there are ministering spirits. There are some that rebelled, and they work. There's a spirit world that goes on. And we know that there's angels that still minister for God. How do they minister for us today? We don't know. We don't know. It's nice to think that there's angels in here among us that are watching over us, but we don't know. But why do we not need to worry about it? Because we have the Holy Spirit. So the key that we have is with us every day is the Holy Spirit. He protects us. God protects us. God watches over us. So do angels minister to us today? Probably. Can we sometimes entertain, we'll get to that verse later, entertain angels unawares? Maybe. But when you become obsessed with figuring that out, now you miss the purpose of the Bible. We're to be obsessed with Jesus and worship him. So angels do minister. Angels watch out for us. They care for us, I believe, in some sense. But it's all in, for whatever God would have us to do. Ultimately, it's God who is our, our protector. Ultimately, it's God who guides us. I don't, uh, angels don't guide us. I don't think in that way we need to look to God. But I think about, what was I going to say? Oh, you remember this? Here's one thing I think interesting. I'll give you this, and then we'll move on to the points here in Hebrews. Remember there was a time in Daniel chapter number 9, Daniel was praying about something. And he, and he hadn't got an answer in 21 days, three weeks. He hadn't got an answer. And finally, he gets an, ange, an answer from an angel. I think I remember if it was Gabriel, Michael, but he got, an, he got an answer from the And here's what the angel said. Hey, we heard your prayer three, 21 days ago. But we've been in a battle. And I'm paraphrasing, but there was a spiritual battle going on over one prayer. And he said we couldn't get here. And he was talking about the Michael, the archangel, had to try to resist. There was a fight that was going on. It's one of the most fascinating stories because it gives us a little glimpse into the spirit world. I've always wondered, and again, I hesitate to say anything because then everybody can become obsessed with it. It's not what we're to be obsessed with. 
But there is a spiritual world. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. In this room right now, there's going to be demons. There's probably going to be angels. We can't see them. And it's probably a good thing we can't see them. And if one of you is able to see them, it's going to get really crazy here in a minute. We can't see them. I think there's a battle that goes on. I wonder, based on that passage in Daniel, maybe some others, if God doesn't allow angels to to wrestle with or fight or whatever with demons. I don't know. We don't know enough. We know that one time they did over prayer. But here's what we do know. Jesus is greater than all of that. He's greater than the demons. He's greater than the angels. And as long as we abide in him, nothing can happen that doesn't go through the hand of God. And so that's what this is all about. Jesus is better. He is the firstborn. He is the one who receives the worship. The angels, when, when Jesus came to this earth, that's why he says in verse 7, um, and, the, and then in verse number, I think I read it, uh, maybe it was verse number 5, but when he sent Jesus to this earth, he told the angels, go worship him. He was a baby. Go worship him. But the angels have to be lesser if they're worshiping a baby that was sent to this earth. But then in verse, uh, I read verse 7, he was served by the angels. Let's look at verse 8. He says, but unto the Son, he saith, so unto Jesus, he saith, God says, here's God speaking, thy throne, O God. Now catch that. Some, Some confusing verses, but catch that. The author is saying, unto the Son, he saith. So now who's talking? God. Thy throne, he's talking to Jesus, O God. So what did God call Jesus? God. It's one of the proof texts for Jesus being God. Not that I need to prove to you guys that Jesus is God. But there's a lot of debate out there sometimes. God himself referred to Jesus, he says, God. He called him God. And so he says, thy throne, O God, is forever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, here's God talking to Jesus. He called him God again. Even thy God, me, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above all thy fellows. Not that I want to get in the weeds, but what is oil usually a picture of in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. Got the Trinity here. At least one is pictured. The other two are described. But the oil of gladness. So here... We see that, that Jesus is God enthroned and anointed. And so he is, and this is all a quote from Psalm 45, which I won't go back and read, but it's a quote from Psalm 45. And so here God is saying to Jesus, you are God. You are enthroned. You have the scepter of righteousness. I've given this all to you. He is enthroned in his position. And then in verse 10, we see he's the eternal creator again. We saw this last week. But verse 10 says, and thou, Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth. So Jesus, part of creation. And the heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall wax old at the garment. And as a vesture that shall that shalt thou fold them up, they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Here's a quote from Psalm 102 is where he's quoting. Again, I won't go back and read it, but he's just saying, Jesus, you are the eternal creator. It's still God the Father talking to the Son. But he says, you were there for the creation. It's Your hands were part of this, the beauty that we see today. You are the creator. And then finally, he says the, in the last two verses, 
Jesus is sovereign and the angels are his servants. Look at verse 13. But to which of the angels did he say at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thy enemies a footstool? This is the second time he's talked. Last week he talked about sitting on the right hand. Remember last week I said that is a, it's a, it's a position of completeness. It's a position of power. It's a position of authority to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And he goes, and so his, his question here to these Jews is, at what time do you see ever that God said to an angel, have a seat right here beside me? Never. The angels are always standing and they're always ministering around the throne. They're always pointing praise to the one that's on the throne. They're never seated there. He says, he's never said to an angel, um, I'll make thy enemies a footstool like he did say. He's quoting Psalm 110 and verse 1 again. But verse 14, he says, are they, he's talking about angels, not all just ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. There's two thoughts on that verse. Some say, shall be heirs of salvation is referring to the Jews that will, during that time, eventually get back to um, the, God's focus right now is focused on the church. There's others that say he's ministering to those that are believers today. I don't know, and I don't want to get in the weeds, but it's the, the whole key is that the, these angels were ministering still for God. I think they probably ministered today in some way. I, still, I think God uses them still today, as he did in the Old Testament. How? I don't know. Something we have different than the Old Testament believers is we have the Holy Spirit with us 100% of the time. The Old Testament believers had the Holy Spirit come upon them for a work and then would leave. And so we have the Holy Spirit that abides within us. And as long as we abide in him and he abides in us, God, whatever God wants us to do, he says we can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. But angels are his servants. Special creatures, yeah. Are they going to be cool to see when we get to heaven? Definitely. But are they greater than Jesus? Not even close. And I think we knew that coming in. If I just shocked any of you right there and you're like, man, I really thought angels were better, then all right, that's fine. I'm glad it could help you. I don't think you knew that. But here's what, what I think we'll leave us with is saying this. You and I, though, are connected to who we've been talking about is greater than everything, Jesus. We have this a union with Christ. We abide in him. And he abides in us, according to John 15. So don't live as if we have no power, no strength. I can't, I can't do this. I can't do that. This Jesus, whom we've talked about for two weeks, and we'll continue to talk about into next week, and I think I'm kind of dipping into chapter 2, verse 1, which I don't mean to, but this same Jesus that we're talking about is available to us today. We can't be foolish and immature, like he's talking to these believers enough to say, well, that's great. I'm going to go to heaven and then distance ourselves from Christ while we're on this earth. We need that abiding relationship with him every single day. Let's pray.